Thank you for listening to The Male Therapist Perspective. My name is Daniel Galarza, and I'm a licensed clinician. Today I'm talking about the effects of an unhealthy family. Most of the time we don't realize how unhealthy our families probably were. To us, our family was normal. In many cases, I could be sitting in front of a client, and we're going over their family history, and I'm reflecting to them how unhealthy the family dynamics were. And it's not unusual for that person to say, I never realized how bad it was. That was just normal to me. It's important to understand the effects of our upbringing, regardless of how severe. It would be unreasonable to believe that we can walk away from an unhealthy system and not be affected. We were affected, but in most cases we don't understand how. As developing and mature people, it's important to understand any unhealthy attitudes that we might be bringing on to our future relationships. So let me start off with a basic idea as to what an unhealthy family is. And as I go through my discussion on unhealthy families, keep in mind that there are different degrees of unhealthy. Ultimately, an unhealthy family is an insecure family. Families that have an element of insecurity function from a place of fear. To a certain degree, they're on survival mode. To be on survival mode means that as long as we're surviving, we're good. It's the impression that everything is fine because we're moving on. You might be succeeding, you might be making money, you might have the ability to purchase a home or do things, but just because you're moving on doesn't necessarily mean you're moving on in a healthy way. The thing that might be driving your success can be fear, and it wouldn't be until we start understanding our own insecurities that we can start picking up on the fact that something's not quite right, and it came from somewhere. In just about every case, an insecure or an unhealthy family had a history of some form of struggle, trauma, or abuse. Now that struggle or abuse might have come at the hands of family members or of circumstances at the time. It could have been social circumstances that devastated a family or a community, or it could be a history of abuse within the family. These types of struggles or traumas force people to make adjustments. So I'll give you an example. Let's say your great-grandfather was physically and emotionally abusive to your great-grandmother, and in turn your great-grandmother is going to have to find different ways to survive that abusive relationship. She might need her oldest child to step up as an equal, to help with the responsibilities of the household. That's what we would call the parentified child, a child who assumed the responsibilities of an adult because another adult wasn't available to do it. Your great-grandmother may take out her anger on the kids. She may in turn be abusive to them because she's being abused herself. And there's the possibility that she might not be available for her children. She may not be physically or emotionally available because she's dealing with psychological or physical trauma. And in the meantime, your great-grandfather's not available. Either he's physically not there because he's doing his own thing, or he's there in the home, but he's not present to support the household. It would be reasonable to see how the children in that family can grow up and be affected in many ways. Some of those kids might grow up to have their own anger. They might grow up to have an emotional void and have a history of depression and anxiety. And some of them can in turn be abusive themselves to the next generation. And keep in mind that that next generation would have been your parents. This is a small example of how generational trauma can get passed on. Generational trauma can come from any kind of trauma, any kind of abuse. It is very likely that an individual or families develop unhealthy tendencies or habits for the sake of surviving in an unhealthy circumstance. And what this creates is an unhealthy system. The family is a system. Every person in that family plays a role. In order for that family to survive and move forward, everybody has to play their role. You might not know it, but it's likely that you played a role in your family that either was assigned to you 
or a role that the family simply needed to have. Some kids are going to have to be the responsible ones. These can be the kids in the family that the parents go to to get things done. Here, you know how to do this. You figure it out. Help me with this. You're the good one at this. In turn, that person can assume the identity of being responsible for things in the family that they shouldn't have been responsible for. But that's because the family can't take care of it itself. It's a lot to bear for a person to be the responsible one. That person can feel like there's a lot on their shoulders and that the family's counting on them. Or they might embrace it. They might like the fact that they're the responsible ones and buy into that identity. In an unhealthy system, the family might also need a scapegoat. The scapegoat is the person that is reflecting the dysfunction of the family. If the family itself has a lot of dysfunction, it only makes sense that it's going to produce some people that are going to be dysfunctional. But instead of the family understanding that it's producing dysfunctional people, it'll target that person as if that person's the problem for the family's issues. That's the scapegoat, sometimes called the black sheep of the family. This can be the person that's either always getting into trouble or just can't seem to understand their role in the family. If you only understood this, if you would only behave like this, if you would only do things right, you would be okay. But for some reason you don't. You have a problem. As a therapist, I've seen too many examples of people's identity being stripped down because they were labeled a scapegoat. And in some cases they were literally told that they would never amount to anything or that everything they were doing was wrong. No matter what they did, they were gonna get it wrong even when they were accomplishing things. The nurturer in the family provides a supportive role. They're there to help people feel good in the family. They're not gonna help you fix the problem, but they're there to help you navigate through it. The forgotten child is the child that sees that there's a lot going on in the family and they simply don't want to add to it. They're trying to stay out of the way. In many cases, the forgotten one gives the impression that everything is okay. They don't make a lot of noise. They don't say many things. They're just kind of there. The family takes this person for granted. They assume that they don't need anything. When in reality, that person needs just as much as anybody else in the family. They're just not calling out for that attention. That person could potentially grow up having a very difficult time understanding what their needs are because they're really good at holding everything inside and not asking for anything. They'll say things like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to cause a problem. Or as long as you're good, I'm good. They give up of themselves. At this point, we start putting it together. A family with a history of trauma or abuse in turn is going to develop bad habits. And when these bad habits are created, it creates a dysfunctional system. A system that has one goal, which is to survive and hopefully avoid the previous traumas. But everybody has to play a role. And when you play a role, whether you realize it or not, you're going to carry it on into adulthood and you will apply it to the relationships you have in the future. This is where we start noticing our fears and anxieties. And we start developing language like, I have to, I can't, you have to, we need to do this. Life feels like it has to be a certain way. Because if it's not this way, you feel like something's going to go wrong. Or you're giving yourself the false impression that you're good. Because you've suppressed those feelings. You have convinced yourself that because you're moving forward and you're succeeding financially, or you've created a family, that the things in the past didn't affect you that you left it behind you. In a way that person says things like, I don't let that stuff get to me, or it didn't affect me, look at me, I'm fine. Those people typically don't understand the impact that they're having in their relationships because they think they're fine. They can't be the problem. The other people are the problem. So depending on the level of dysfunction in the family, will determine how much we were affected and the intensity of whatever maladaptive traits we might carry with us. And if we're being affected in some way, 
or likely passing it on to the next generation. Some of the more common effects of coming out of a dysfunctional family are anxiety, depression, and low sense of self. Low sense of self can be tricky. We make the assumption that a person with a low sense of self is a person who feels bad about themselves, and that's what they display. They display low self-esteem, or they're very down on themselves. But in my perspective, it's also the person that is overcompensating. The person that's going around pretending like everything's fine, when somewhere deep down inside it's not. It's a survival mechanism. You're pretending. You're putting on a mask. And some of these people can be very good at pretending. You'll never know that something was wrong. They were always talking about how much fun they had, or all the successes that they're having. But somewhere deep down inside, they need to have these successes. They need to convince themselves that everything is good. Because the second they don't feel like they're doing well, their insecurities become exposed. If you do have symptoms of anxiety or depression, or low sense of self, keep in mind that they didn't just happen just because. As adults, we have a strong desire to take ownership over our own issues. We feel like it's our problem. I'm the one with anxiety. I'm the one with anger issues. It's my addiction. I'm the problem. Our families could do the same thing. They'll look at us and say, you're not trying hard enough. The answer was right there. You just didn't want to do it. They make you the owner of your mental health issues. Neglecting the fact that you are a part of a system and you reflect the unhealthy aspects of that system. It was never a 100% you. You are the product of an unhealthy environment. When we get to understand specifically what is unhealthy about our families, it allows us the opportunity to work on that and focus on it. We in turn get to protect ourselves. If I know I come from a family that's highly critical or very codependent, then I know to protect myself from a critical family or a codependent family. If I know I come from an alcoholic family and I go to a family event and I see my uncles drinking too much, that's my cue. We're going to have to leave early. Otherwise, I run the risk of exposing myself to an uncomfortable situation. Don't just experience your family as you always have. Become curious about your family. Question why things are the way they are. When something doesn't feel right, make a note of it. Your obligation is not going to be to change your family. Your obligation is to understand your role in your family and how you're being affected. If you're not sure as to how to do this, let me give you a few things to look out for. One of the most common features of an unhealthy family is a tendency to criticize or judge. There are certain families that are very, very critical or very judgy. They spend more time criticizing or judging each other than actually understanding each other. To understand a person is to actually get to know where a person is coming from. To judge them or criticize them is to make your own conclusion as to why they're doing what they're doing. And almost 100% of the time, our conclusion is going to be a negative one. It's because they're lazy. It's because they're selfish. They don't care. So look out for the amount of judgment or criticism in your family. Because it's likely if you come from a system that's very judgy or critical, you might not realize how judgy or critical you're being to the people in your life. Another thing to look out for is any type of overconsumption. Overconsumption of alcohol, food, material things. Too much of anything is not good for you. Overconsumption is a way of making us feel better. It pacifies us. Whether it's alcohol, food, material things, or anything else that's being overconsumed, it's up to you to look at your family and understand what's reasonable and what is not. When I think about alcohol and food, it's very typical to hear people say things like, our family just parties. We like to have a good time and that's how we party. When the reality is, is that we drink too much. Even with food. So you might find yourself at a family event not eating and people questioning, why aren't you eating? Because that's what we do in this family. We eat. I don't have anything against food. 
I love food, but there's a healthy limit. And the next thing to look out for, it's either codependence or too much detachment. To be codependent means that we're too intertwined in our lives. We all depend on each other way too much. When one person moves, we're all affected. In these codependent families, you hear language like you have to, you can't. Or you might feel obligated to attend every family event. Because if I don't attend a family event, my family's going to be mad at me. They're going to question me. Who do you think you are? Family first, always. There's nothing wrong with family first. But a codependent relationship relies way too much on each other. And it's also a survival mechanism. It's how we get by. We stay together. There's nothing wrong with staying together. But when you depend on people too much, it keeps us from growing and evolving into being the people we were intended to be. Because we're stuck in that space. To be too detached, on the other hand, is a family that doesn't connect at all. We might live in the same place, but nobody talks to each other. We never address issues. Things tend to feel superficial. In a way, you don't know the person you live with. You may know your friends better than you know your own family members. That's a detached family. And that's also a way of protecting yourself. If I stay to myself, and I do my thing, I won't get hurt. And finally, I would pay attention to how your family communicates. There are families that are really good at avoiding. Something tragic or traumatic can happen and they just move forward. Because moving forward gives us the false impression that we're going to leave it behind and we're not going to let it affect us. But when we don't address trauma or stress in our lives, we carry it with us. It will come out in some way or another. Healthy families sit down and talk. They debrief. They express their emotions respectfully. And their family members listen respectfully, even when you don't agree. If arguments or discussions become too toxic, too intense, that's another sign that your family doesn't really know how to fix problems. They know how to vent about them. They know how to argue about them. But they don't know how to fix them. And in large part because they don't have the will to fix it. They don't want to fix it. They would rather blame others and get upset with other people than to hold themselves accountable for the role that they're playing in the family dysfunction. Which is what all this is about. It's about you holding yourself accountable for the role that you play in your family. Whether it's a big role or a small role, you don't realize it, but you're playing a role. Just because our family is the way it is, doesn't mean we have to accept it. You're responsible for your growth, and you're responsible for your development. You can influence your family, but your obligation is not to change them. You might feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall trying to change people. You can let them know what you think, and you can let them know what you feel. We want to keep what we love in our family. The rituals, the gatherings, the laughter even the food, and some alcohol. But we also want to work on the things that are hurting the family. If your intention is to create a secure family, then it's going to start with being secure within yourself. Healthy families lead with respect and consistent love. Consistent love is the type of love that's not going to hurt you. That doesn't mean that we're never going to disagree, and it doesn't mean that we're never going to have hurtful moments. But it means that we're not that selfish, that I'm not so selfish that I will hurt my loved ones, and then in turn, turn around and say, but I love you. And then turn around and do it again. In abusive or toxic families, mistreatment is normalized. To be healthy in your family is to be patient. You're working on something. Give yourself time. Truly make an effort to understand the people in your family for who they are, not for what you think they should be. And learn how to trust. And above everything, have fun. If you're not having fun, you're missing it. A healthy family is flexible. An unhealthy family is rigid. I understand that there are certain things that are non-negotiables. We're going to be honest. 
That's a non-negotiable. We don't hurt people. That's a non-negotiable. But there's also flexibility, a lot of flexibility. We're open to grow. And above everything, a healthy family is consistent. They're reliable. An unhealthy family is unpredictable. And keep this in mind. Just because there's good in the family doesn't mean that the family's good. Anyone who finds themselves saying things like, things are generally good. 90% of the time things are fine. It's just that 10% that gets really, really bad. If 10% is really bad, 5% is really bad. It's unhealthy. Again, I'm not suggesting that things should be perfect. But there are certain things that don't belong in families. For the sake of creating a healthy family, people are going to need help. That's where a healthy couple comes in. Or if you don't have a partner, a healthy support system. So I'd like to wrap it up with my perspective as a male and a therapist. I started off the podcast by explaining how stress, trauma, or abuse can lead people to maladaptive behavior. And in turn, we can pass it on generationally. When I've really sat down and tried to understand a lot of the dysfunction in families, I realized how important the role of a man in the family is. In many cases, it was the man who was the abusive one, or the neglectful one, or the selfish one. In the example of the great-grandmother being abused by the great-grandfather, it was the grandmother who carried the burden of the abuse. It's not unusual for me to hear people express their frustration about their moms, because their moms were overwhelming or very intense. But in too many of these stories, I've come to realize that the reason the mom was so intense and overwhelmed is because their male partner was either being neglectful or abusive. He wasn't there. Or he was there, but he was causing damage or harm. This is where I hear people say things like, My dad was there, but he really wasn't a part of the family. Or he was always angry, or he was never there. It was the moms that were there. And they might have been stressed out. Or they might have been in survival mode. And they did what they had to do to survive. We as men play an important role. And for the sake of not passing on generational trauma, we have to hold ourselves accountable to being the partners that we promise to be. That we don't default on the promise to be there. That we don't default on the promise to be equal partners. Because I would like for us as men to hold ourselves accountable for the dysfunction that we create in families. Like always, I hope the information I provided was useful for you. And if you know of anybody that can benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And if you have any questions or thoughts or any suggestions for future episodes, find me on Instagram at the Male Therapist Perspective. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.